Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Thank you, Jay. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Children are excused for Children's Church. They're going to come back in and join us. And no, you're not all offbeat here. We are just changing things up a little bit. Uh, you're going to get the sermon first this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Book of Matthew, chapter 2. Uh, today we start a four-part series called Christmas Joy. Christmas Joy. Today we're going to look at this idea of joyful, joyful, we adore thee. So in Matthew chapter 2, uh, we're actually going to look at uh, the story here, the account of the wise men. And just so you know, the wise men come after Jesus. And so you're like, well, well why are we doing this? Because we're like, Jesus isn't born yet. Why are we doing? Well, you're going to see here, hopefully in a little bit, it, it really comes down to this. As we think about Christmas joy, how do we respond to it? As we are, are looking forward to celebrating that day when Jesus was born, Christmas Day, as Andrew already mentioned to us, it is not only that, as Christ followers, we look forward to Jesus' return to take us home. His return to come to earth again. His return is promised. Uh, and so we look forward to that. We anticipate that. And so there's a, there's a call, there's a challenge for us in this text as we think about this. And the, the great hymn writer in the 1800s who who wrote that hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. And so we'll talk about that hymn in a little bit. But Matthew chapter 2, let's read through our passage. Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, and w if you would, if you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read the text here this morning? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and from them, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Jerusalem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here in this place, in your house, Lord, to worship you. 
Lord, as we dig into your word, we pray that you would make it come alive to us. Lord, that it would pierce our hearts, our minds, that we would leave here changed in different people because we've interacted with the true and living God and because we've interacted with your word, the truth. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. May you be glorified. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Interesting, as we look at the text here, um, we see these wise men who were off from the east. And as they come, they are approaching Jerusalem because they see a star. There's a star that they have taken notice of. And so, for some reason, they have searched and they have found uh, this, I, this uh, um, belief. And as they approach Jerusalem, um, the King Herod has brought all the scribes and all the chief priests, and they brought them together. And here um, in the assembly, verse 4 says, the assembly of all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And so here, um, the King Herod gets word that these wise men are seeking after who? Well, actually, we see it in the text. The text tells us in, back in verse 2. And so the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And so um, we see as we think about Christmas joy and this idea of joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And especially that last part of it, we adore thee. We see first um, that Christ has been born. As the wise men in Jerusalem, the, the baby's already been born. Verse 2 says it, where he has been born. It's an action verb that has already taken place. And so, who has been born? The king of the Jews has been born. And so here's foreigners, outsiders, not even Jews who have come from a far distance. And, and they have, are proclaiming a message that who told them? Well, the text doesn't tell us. I, I believe, again, the Spirit of God moves in many different hearts and many different lives in many different ways. And so I think the Spirit of God led these wise men to come and they had this knowledge, this understanding that this Christ, the King of the Jews, who had already been born, they were seeking after him. Why? Because they had seen a star. But when we think about this, the, there's three things that I want us to ponder as we look at the text this morning. Is, and the first is this, he who has been born, he's king of the Jews. It's a fact. When we think about joyful, joyful, we adore thee, you have to have a fact. You have to have the truth. When you have an overwhelming sense of joy, it's because something is real in your life. When you come to adore something, it's because it's present. It is real. It's not something make-believe or you're just wishing or when I wish upon a star one day that it would come to fruition. No, this is truth. The wise men set out from, from the far distance because they, they believed that it was already true that there had been born a child and he was the king of the Jews. The reality had already taken place. There are some who approach the texts of the Bible and really struggle with it, really wrestle with it. Uh, that's why one of the things that we do is we try to offer some, some, uh, some 
some good resources. One of the great resources that we have in the back uh, for those who walk in is called The Case for Christ. And uh, Lee Strobel does an excellent job. And part of what he does, he spends a whole chapter in, in this book talking about what evidence is outside of the Bible show us that the Bible is true. And, and I love how he walks through Josephus, who's a Jewish historian um, who was born in 37 AD, and how he gives an account that there really was a man named Jesus. Tacitus, who wrote in 115 AD, he wrote about Nero. He was a historian. He wrote this. He said, Christian, or Christus suffered the extreme penalty at the hands of Pontius Pilate. This is a writing in 115 AD, okay? 115 AD. This isn't a thousand years later. This is somebody who's writing on account that this Christ gave his life, and ultimately, as he writes about it, and then um, Pliny, Pliny, and I know I'm messing these names up, but Pliny, the younger, wrote in 111 AD, about the widespread movement of Christianity. Christianity coming, getting its term from those who were following this Christ, this one. So you're talking about 100 years after the birth of Christ, these people who are writing about this man named Jesus gives credence. I'm not here to prove to you intellectually that Jesus was real. I'm just telling you, if you do your research and you're not sloppy and you don't just take Google for the sake of whatever you Google as truth, when you start digging in and you start to say, is this really truth? The reality is Jesus was born. God came from heaven and was born a real man. He was king of the Jews, and, and what's awesome about it is we see from the very beginning of this account of, who, of, of Jesus coming to earth that he is claimed as the king, the king of his people. It's truth. Think about this. Who changed B.C. to A.D.? I mean, our whole calendar is, is, is around this man. And to, so, so to say that Jesus didn't really come or it wasn't really true is to disregard something something so great in history that not only does the bible who i believe that i believe is totally true if you want to disregard that look at other things and other writers and other people who have said there was this truly man who came and there was this great following after him and he suffered and he died and oh by the way there's a lot of other people who are suffering and dying for him. And so when the time got tough, it wasn't that Jesus abandoned or these people abandoned their faith in Jesus. There was something different about this group. He who had been born, king of the Jews. The second item that we see here is that they saw his star. I love this. It mentions it a few times. Uh, um, verse 2, it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. Then it says later, <laughs> that down in verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They saw his star. They saw the child. 
Because when they were going into the house, verse 11, notice this isn't still out in the stable, all right? Jesus is older, this this is days later, and we're not going to talk about how many days because ultimately we don't really know. It's a, a time period has passed, though, when the wise men show up. And so when you put your wise men around your manger scene, just know that they don't show up at the manger. They show up later at a house, okay? And as they show up, uh, and, and by the way, I don't have anything against putting your wise men with your manger scene. It's okay. I think they're important characters, all right? Just teach the truth. Let your kids know. All right, let them know that they came later. It says in verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. What, 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 what takes place here? They saw. Their eyes were open that they would see. To see Jesus as he really is. Do you know what that requires of them and what it requires of you and me? I think it takes three things, and I've listed them here for you. Number one, it takes humility. It takes humility. Because the truth is, you and I, we can't fix ourselves. We have a problem. Let me say it this way. You have a problem. (laughs) And I don't have the answer, nor do you have the answer. But God has the answer. God has the answer to all of your problems. And your greatest problem is you're sinful and you're disobedient. We don't want to talk about that. And we don't like to say that today because that offends people. I'm not telling you that. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells me that I was born a sinner. I have a heart condition. I have a heart problem. And I was born with it. And that is because I disobey God. It's because Adam disobeyed God. And that was passed down from Adam to you and to me. Anybody born from a woman has this heart issue. Anybody not been born from a woman? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but the truth is all of us have, okay? All of us, except there was one who was born by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus. While Mary birthed him, and we celebrate it on Christmas, the miraculous conception of Jesus was an act of God. So that sin wasn't passed to Jesus. So when he was born, he wasn't born in the same spiritual condition that we were struggling in. He was born distinct and set apart. He was perfect. Did he cry? What do babies do? I don't, listen, can you talk as a baby? That's how you communicate. Did he sin when he was a baby? No. Did he go in his diaper? Yeah, but that didn't mean he was a sinner. That's a fact of life. Any human being has to do that. I think sometimes the arguments of people and the twistedness of looking and trying to think that there's no way that Jesus could have been born perfect. Yes, there is. Because of that very thing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that came upon Mary. That a virgin would give birth to the Son of God. 
and that he was born perfect and sinless. He lived a perfect and sinless life, never once messing up or sinning like you and I do. See, we have this condition and we can't fix it, but that makes it so miraculous what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus would come and help us. We read all throughout the gospel accounts of how Jesus came and he did these great miracles. We just shared one in our class in John this morning. Desperate people in desperate needs. And Jesus came and provided for them. And the truth is, we're all desperate. Every one of us. And it takes humility to recognize that and to admit that. You and I, we can't fix ourselves. The second is this. Not only does it take repent or humility, but it takes repentance. Repentance is doing things God's way. It's turning from where I was in the opposite of direction I will pursue. To turn from sin and to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and to be able to accept his free gift as savior of my life. That's repentance. The gospel story, as we look at it, isn't just one of intelligent belief. It is not one of just praying a prayer where we say something and then everything is taken care of. Our lips display a message. They declare something. But what is that message that it declares? When I pray, what is taking place in my heart and in my mind? The gospel message, and as we look at this text, they saw the star and they saw the child. There's something that took place. They realized in, in this idea of repentance that they weren't the one in superior um, um, uh, behavior. They weren't the ultimate ones. They were underneath this child, this king of the Jews. And repentance for you and for me today is not living our lives according to the way that we want to. People want to pray a prayer to deal with the sin issue, to say, okay, I want heaven, I want my sins forgiven, but I want to live life my way. Repentance says, no, I acknowledge and realize I have a spiritual condition. I have a problem in my life, and I can't fix it. And I realize that the Bible tells me the only thing that can fix that is when I turn to Jesus. Meaning I have to turn away from where I was and what I was doing. And I will turn to and I will follow this other way. That's why Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is it. Repentance requires me 
that I turn from myself and my way of doing things. And I live according to, and here's the third part of this, obedience. Obedience. Even in childlike faith, which is required of us as we accept Christ as our Savior to forgive us of our sin, to grow in our understanding and God's purposes for our life requires obedience. When we look in the Bible, the Bible never will separate out a belief from an action. True belief in Jesus requires action. It requires obedience. Some people would say, well, then does that mean that I'm working for that, that, that salvation? No, that's not what I'm saying. We can't do anything to gain our salvation. You and I remember our condition. We can't fix ourselves. And so if we're going to do something to fix it, then that means that, that, that we control that. We can't control it. We can't dictate it. But when I repent and I turn to Jesus as the one and only one who can fix the problem that I have, the sin condition and the penalty and the punishment that is owed, when I repent and turn from my sin and trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord, it requires alongside of that obedience. That obedience doesn't save me, but that obedience goes right in line with faith because if at any point I think I do something to control it, that means that I think that I can lose it. What I've gained, I can lose. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe that true faith and trust in Jesus, once you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord, you will never lose your salvation. Are we still in a, dealing with the problems of our flesh? There is no doubt. Amen. We wrestle with our flesh. But as we wrestle with the sin, we're no longer held in chains and in bondage. We're set free from that. So I don't have to sin. I don't have to continue to sin. Paul says in Romans, shall I? Meaning, it's a choice. Should I continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says, surely not. Meaning you don't have to. And so this act of obedience is out of a genuine love and a de desire as we see God for who he really is. And as we see what he has really done for me, he has saved me from eternity in hell. He's given me a relationship through his son. He's uh, uh, taken the full punishment, the full wrath of God that has been placed on Jesus Christ when he went to the cross he, Jesus died, was buried, and that he rose again, conquering sin and death. And for those who will place their faith and trust in him, we have the hope of eternal life. And with that, that draws us, that can't help but to pull us to say, I want to be obedient. I want to do it God's way. Because over here, I was stuck. And anything that I did, I couldn't fix the problem. We want the best of both worlds today. Or so we think it's the best of both worlds. I want to do it my way. Well, we'll get that here in just one moment. But to do what God wants. To follow his way. To allow his spirit 
to lead me and to guide me, not my own. That's why it's crucial and critical when we come to the word of God that we read it and study it, that we know what is God's truth. How does God define this truth in this area of my life? How will he define what he wants me to do here in this area? Why have we abandoned the faith? Because we make it so cheap. It's not just a prayer. It requires, yes, a belief. But that belief is sandwiched with obedience. Our faith, don't cheapen it. The third part of this this morning is they came and they worshiped him. They saw his star. They saw this child. It changed their life. And as they saw him, what did they do? In the beginning, verse 2, it says, For we saw the star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Later, it says that they, they saw the star. Verse 10, they saw the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. They opened up their treasure and offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, a changed life that's transformed, but being in a problem filled with issues that can't be fixed on our own, but then when the realization comes when we can't fix it and we repent and turn to Jesus to forgive us of our sin and we live our lives in obedience, walking with him, we can't help but to live with a life full of worship. It comes out of that. And so when you come in on a Sunday morning or you walk around in your daily time and you struggle with worshiping God, it's because you've lost the amazement and the wonder of what it means to be saved out of a place that, that we had no hope, that we couldn't fix. We've lost the view that this is the king. That's why the writer could say, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And so I ask you, is it for you, we adore you, Lord, or is it this, I adore myself, or God, I adore you in my own way. God, I want you to be according to the way I want it to go. There's a great sermon from Dr. S.M. Lockridge, and you've probably, maybe you've heard it before. You're going to hear the audio here. And their words will be there. It's just a video. And I encourage you, when you think about who Jesus is, I don't know about you, but I can't help but to worship. He's a seven-way king. Listen, go ahead. You can play it. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? 
Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showed his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the popular. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. 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 That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he didn't describe him. He didn't describe him. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him. 
let alone a man explaining it. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my game. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's why. And the power and the glory. Hey! All the power belongs to Marquis. We around here talking about black power and white power and green power, but God's power, time is the power. Yeah! And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Guys, that's our God. That's our King. We have the privilege of worshiping him every day as long as he leaves us here on this earth. And then we get to do it in person with him, face to face. So the charge today is that we would adore him. That we would come and we would worship him. We get to do that with our voices. But that's not the only way we get to worship him. We'll participate in communion and celebrate the great sacrifice that he gave for us. But that's not the only way to worship him. We get to worship him every day of our life. As we work, as we play, as we read, as we study. To be able to put him in his rightful place. It requires us to humble ourselves, to be willing to repent, to turn to him. And it calls us to obey. So there's truly a king. Have you seen him? Do you know him? If you don't today, would you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and radically transform you and to give you life? 
If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, will you worship him? When we see him as he really is, oh, that humbles me. And I say, who am I? And what do I have to offer? Okay, I'll sing to you because I have nothing else. Oh, did you want this part of my life? Yes, I'll give it to you. Let's worship him today. And as we go through this Christmas season, the Christmas joy, it comes from adoring him and seeing who he really is. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is my prayer that we have come to worship you here in this place. For those of us who have claimed Christ as our Savior, we can testify that our life is changed. And Lord, it's filled with worship. It's anticipated worship. And yet, Lord, we can become distracted. We can become self-focused. We can become so focused on things that don't even really matter or, or are less important than, than the whole substance of what we are doing and bring, bringing and being. Lord, we desire to worship you, to adore you. So may it be this morning as we sing and as we participate in communion, partaking together of, of the bread and the juice, representing the critical gift that was given to us, your broken body and your shed blood. May our response be this, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Our hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. We pray, Lord, melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. You are the giver of immortal gladness. And we pray, Lord, fill us with the light of day. To you be glory, Lord. To you be honor. If there's sin in our life, that's a barrier, Lord. You've told us that. And so before we come in an act of worship, Lord, may we examine and look at our lives. And if there's sin there, Lord, may we be quick to repent. Turn from it. Lord, I pray that you forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. Our selfishness. Our self-desires. Our pride. Our arrogance. To God be the glory. Great things, Lord, you have done. We pray all of this because of the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.